0: 20 minutes, but I opened up Friday morning by using a, a big Greek word, I had it written on a piece of paper, and uh, it's, it's two words put together, it's the word God and breath, and the, the, it's called, it's, the two words are theos or theo, God, and pneuma, we would use our English word pneumatic, it's pneumatos in the Greek, but we would think pneumatic. So in, in a pneumatic, you know, if you have a pneumatic tool, this is a great illustration for me, I understand this, is that is when you use a pneumatic tool, the tool is pushed by the air. The power of the air is what does is the energy. So when we think of divine inspiration, when we think of God's Word, sometimes we think it's not, it's not inhaling, it's exhaling. God spoke through people. They wrote the Word. The Word of God was written in words. And He used human beings to do it. It's an incredible thing. But He's God. And it makes all the sense in the world when the Bible says, and the Word became flesh. Now we see Him. But we have it written. Now when the Word became flesh, we didn't have the New Testament. But then Jesus set aside men that after He left this world, they would write about that Word. Isn't that awesome? So so we have the word and, and that word the theo pneumatos comes from it appears just a few times in the New Testament, Greek New Testament, but it's it's uh 2 Timothy 316, that the word of God is breathed out by God. Every word, it's what it's Pasan, it means every word. God God Controls every word. He controls whether it's one word or a sentence. He, every word, is, it says, is breathed out by God. Now, we love that part. Then it says, and there's, there's two adjectives right there, you know. But profitable. It says, it's breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. God raises His children through His Word. And when you come to John chapter 7 and we're watching the events of the Feast of Tabernacle, right at, during, right at the end of the Feast of Tabernacle, something fantastic happens. And I want you to see in just a moment the beauty of God's Word. Why Christ, He had to speak they, they were trying to catch Him. They, they were asking Him a question and they're trying to catch Him. They catch a, girl, a lady in adultery. But Jesus must speak and He must speak the truth because He is the Word of God in human form. But we too follow Christ and so we must be people of the Word. I want you to see that. Um, one of life's greatest questions would be, what uh is recorded by Pilate both in uh in in Matthew's gospel and then in John. I want you to listen to what Pilate asked, and many of you will remember this, but Pilate came out, this is one of the three or four times or three times he came back out of the crowd. So Pilate came out, this is during the you know the, the interrogation of Christ. Pilate said to the crowd, now this is a question you all Every one of us is going to have to answer. And to be honest with you, not only those of us that are in this room, but everybody who's ever lived is going to deal with this question. Here's what Pilate asks. Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? What shall I do with Christ? You have to answer that question. What have you done with Christ? Have you repented and believed in Him unto salvation? Or do you treat Him like a stepchild? Do you treat Him like a Santa Claus? Do you treat Him like a get-out-of-jail-free card? Do you treat Him like an emergency doctor? You know, but what are you doing with Christ? Um, If you have your Bible, since you're in John, flip over to John 18. This is really interesting to me. John 18, here's something else that that Pilate gets involved in with Christ. John 18. I have um, gone, you know, I went for so long without my glasses and I kept bringing large print Bibles to the pulpit or to the podium. Well, when I got my glasses, which is three or four months ago, I, this is the first time in my life I've ever had progressives. I used to, I wore bifocals my whole life because I'm always sitting at a desk Reading, so I'm using my by foot. You know, well these progressives mess me up, and I hardly, I can't read hardly anything. So just forgive me if I miss a word. I want you to know there's a reason. I'm not, I'm not getting. I still can read. It may not sound like I can read, but I can still read. So far, but this is in John, uh, John eighteen. If I knew now, if I knew then what I know now, I'd have never done it. I'm in John 8 about the progressives. I'm just not, I can't get used to them. Anyway, that's a whole other story. Look at verse 37, John 18, 37. Uh, it, well, I'm, you know the context. It's still the one of these interrogations. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. To the truth, to bear witness. You see that? To bear witness to the truth. The word became flesh. You know, and that's and think of all the things when Jesus was, even in the I am statements, I am the way, the truth, and the life, you know, he's He confirms that there's one thing we know about Christ. He's truth. All these other religions, if you want to say faiths, religions, whatever you want to say, they do not have the Son of God. They don't follow the truth. It's all error. It's all heresy. And so he says the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. How much did you read your Bible this week? How are you going to hear His voice if you're not reading His Word? See, if you're not reading His Word, you're you're hearing what you want to hear, which isn't Him. It's you, unless you're quoting Scripture. It says, it's just like what He says in John 10, My sheep hear My voice, And they follow me. And a stranger, they will not follow because it's a strange voice. But it's a strange voice because they know the voice of the shepherd. If you don't know the voice of the shepherd, you keep following strangers. And I'm telling you, there's people in here, even me, you, if you don't know God's Word, there are times in your life you follow the stranger because you don't know God's Word, the importance of this. That's why what Jesus does here in John 7, is just a simple thing, just so profound, what Christ does, end of John 7, end of John 8. But then look what, what Pilate says. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Sadly, there are a lot of religious people. There's a lot of, there's a lot of evangelicals. There's a lot of Protestants. There's a lot of Southern Baptists that still don't know their truth. They don't know the truth. They don't know Jesus Christ. That's sad, isn't it? And back to John 7. This is, uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to pick up in... uh, trying to find the best place to pick up uh, well there's a division among the people you know we've gone through the the feast and uh let's just pick up at verse where I wanted to pick up uh Jesus claims to you know that people are are following him as if he's a prophet but let's just pick up at verse 53 well verse 52 says they replied are you from galilee too and you have to read the whole thing but search the scriptures and you'll find that no prophet arises from Galilee which they didn't obviously they didn't know the scriptures now if you have a study bible when you get to verse 53 you may have a note somewhere uh, and that's not in mine here but it was in some that I was using in the ESV or another study bible is there a special note you have somewhere around verse 53 it says that this this next passage is not found in the oldest manuscripts. Am I right? That's what it says. Okay, now, now it's not saying that it's not God's word. Okay, there would be. That's what it's saying is there are some translations of the Bible that you might be reading and it does not have John eight, John seven fifty three through eight twelve. Okay, because in, in some of the older manuscripts there this isn't found. But folks, there are thousands. There are thousands of manuscripts, okay? And there's all these, I'm not going to get into all that, but in criticism, and there, there's there's affirmation that this is God's Word. And there's a reason why I believe John added it. And it, it may not be... Um, I do think it's it's sometime around what happened, right after the Feast of Tabernacles. But it may not have been the next day. It might have been two or three days later and John has to put this in because what I want you to see is this is the word of God Christ is the word in flesh and he deals with some things here in John 753 through 812 that are just absolutely just absolutely profound um, now before I do that I even brought this to the pulpit last week and uh, and I didn't read them, and I wanted to. I was always think about New Year's resolutions, and I've been so out of pocket, I hadn't even talked to you about that. But I want to use the Bible just to give you some challenges about New Year's revolu- New Year's r- resolutions. I'll get there. Not revolutions. We could do that too, but resolutions. Let me give you a Bible verse for that, and you'll hear this again next Sunday. This is this is great. Now this is part of a verse, it's the last part of chapter 1 Corinthians fourteen twelve. but it says, strive, uh, exhaust yourself, strive to excel in building up the church. Now what was happening in Corinth was everybody was all excited about their spiritual gift. Especially those who had the, the gift of tongues could speak in languages that other people couldn't hear, couldn't interpret. So they felt elevated. So Paul says, if you want to excel in something, this is it says, strive to excel in building up the church. Is that you? Strive to excel in building up the church. I'll give you an example. You know, that, that may mean that during the month of uh, February, uh, well, I'll announce it now, but Uh, One of the things I want to talk about in February is our debt. We're down to $250,000 in debt. Isn't that awesome? Folks, you don't know the story here and how we did all this, but I'll take just a second. On your envelope, when you use an envelope, I'm not here to talk about money, and I very seldom do it anyway, but on our envelopes, there's a little line that says, I think it says, together we will. Okay? It's one of the lines. That is what helps pay off our debt. Now, we make a payment every month. I think it's $3,000 a month we pay on our debt. But in addition to that, people give over and above, and that's what that means. Together we will. goes immediately. So every week, we write an extra check to debt, okay? But, you know, we built the sanctuary, $700,000, whatever it was. Then, you know, five years later, we built this back here for $600,000, Right? And so that $1.3 million that we spent starting in 2004, it's been 16 years, right? We're here, so we're down to $250,000. Now, I'm just going to be frankly honest with you. Who pays one of the greatest prices when you get in debt is your staff, okay? Because you have to pay the debt, okay, before cost of living adjustments, before any kind of raise, so our staff, and, you know, at one time, you know, I'll be glad to explain all that to you, but so I can't wait for us. To, so this year, one of the things I'm going to talk about, just being honest with you, striving to excel in building up, it would be great if we could pay off our debt within just a few years rather than maybe waiting five years to pay it off. You know, it used to be that two, $250,000 is still a lot of money, but in the world you and I live in, most of you in here, your house costs more than that, Okay. So, not most, but a lot. Mine doesn't, but you know. So that's not a lot of money anymore. But here's nothing. if we've been in this, here's this stuff wants you to think about. Strive to to make the church. Strive to building up the church, and these are just material things. But so if we've been in the sanctuary 16 years, there may be some things we need to do in the sanctuary to update, to renew. Well, we might want to do that, but that costs money. Uh, When things get back to normal, we are desperate for extended session workers. That's working during church, you know, the working in the nursery. But if we're trying to strive to excel, or our attendance in Bible study has been woefully sad for two years. You know it. And you know what excuse people use? Tell me. COVID. Yeah, COVID. I was reading some articles, and I don't want to, you know... You're here, thank you. So you know, so I'm not going to beat you up. You're here, and many of you. When we do Sunday school, <laughs> I mean, we're, we're not doing it today, and we didn't we didn't do it today. And we're not going to do it next Sunday, and hopefully by February, you know, the, this this variant will have passed, and, and we can get come back to get a regular schedule. But anyway, but I was reading statistics about about the you know says that the worst place in America for for evangelicals. Is in the north, northeast, and they said, they said that that twenty nine. The average attendance for a church in that part of the United States, this evangelical Protestant, is is twenty nine percent. Is the average drop in church attendance? Now, in the South, it's not quite that bad, but it's right under twenty percent. But think about that, and we would be true to that. We would be true to that. A little under 20%, 15%, twenty percent, maybe fifteen percent, twenty that people have stopped coming to church. And, and this is the other thing that you get into, is that those that were fairly active are, are now inactive, right? And, and, and you see a lot of that. And why? Why is that? Because of COVID, right? Uh, people that were, were regular are now sporadic. And, and what's happened is, it, here's how we justify it. And I'm, I'm not going to attack you. And I, it's just reality. We begin to make decisions based on our individualism, you know. And 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 we and I know we got to take care of our health. I'm not saying be stupid. I'm not saying that, but you know, people make excuses, and you know it's hard for you not to make an excuse. We all can do that, or sit at home and watch it online. I mean, it's so much easier, right? So, or stay at home and say you're going to watch it online and not watch it online. That's even better, you know. And it we can we can get into that, but. There's this this part of us that it, it matters when you're not here. If you can be here, it, it's God's. If you can be here, the Bible says it's God's will for you to be here because you're supposed to be part of the body. It's not about you. It's about His body and His glory. And and something happens on Sunday. You know, the devil gets up early and causes just absolute chaos in your. Especially if you have children. Just absolute chaos. Or if you're married, you have more fusses on Sunday. You know, you fuss over everything, and and it just because the, the it's the Lord's day, and I think there's you know there's spear, huge spiritual warfare going on. But we're not individuals. When you make decisions, you gotta think you're part of a body, and this body misses you, whether it's attending a Sunday school class or being a part of a fellowship. So it's important, okay? So and of course you'll hear some of this again when it comes to. Love my church. Listen to these Bible verses. You want some New Year's resolutions? How about 2 Timothy 4, 5? Fulfill your ministry. Here, fulfill your service. Not ministry. Ministry's not talking about me. It's talking about service. Fulfill your service. What are you doing to serve the body of Christ? How about the end of uh, 2 Corinthians where it says... The verse I read earlier, which where it says, Train yourself unto godliness. How about Ephesians, where it says, Walk in love as Christ loved us? I love that one. Ephesians 5 2. Walk in love as Christ loved us. How about Ephesians 6 6? Here's a good New Year's resolution. Do not be people pleasers. That's a good one, isn't it? We like to be people pleasers. We like to do. Uh, we appeal. We want to appeal to people. And here's a good Bible verse. The whole verse is good for a New Year's resolution. Making known to us the mystery of his will. See, unsaved people do not understand the mystery of God's will about the church and that the body that God saves us and put puts His Spirit in us and. Many members become one body. Christ is the head and, and then He ordains leadership in that body and, and that body functions as a spiritual family. People that are unsaved don't understand that mystery. But Ephesians 1.9 says, "...making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose that He set forth in Christ." God has a purpose that He alone has set forth in Christ for me and for you. Uh, By the way, in Ephesians, uh, 12 times in the book of Ephesians, it has six chapters, Paul mentions about in Christ 12 times. The purpose that God has set forth in Christ. Well, folks, let me tell you something. If If you're not walking in Christ, I'm not talking about salvation, I'm talking about fellowship and sanctification. That if you're not in Christ walking in sanctification, then you're not fulfilling your purpose. Your whole purpose in life is 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 being garnished by the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I read another article this week that said that some scholars, and I don't know how accurate this was, but it said that some scholars say that only 5% of, of normal evangelical congregations, or an average evangelical congregation, I don't know what average is, but... We're an evangelical congregation, but um, that only 5% are in the process of being sanctified, that, that they are being set apart moment by moment, you know, that, the growing in their faith. And, and so being sanctified means set apart, you know, holiness. They're going through this process of, of maturation and sanctification. Of 5% are growing. When, and, and if you're not growing... You're not you're not staying still. You're losing ground, you know, because there's a war, there's a war going on. Let's look at your Bible. So, verse 50. I'm in John 7, and and it says, and so just, that's why I wanted to explain about 53. Uh, and everybody went to his each to his own house. So he's explaining this is after the Feast of Tabernacles, and folks, just how profound it was that for eight days they celebrated. It's one of the longer feasts, uh, and and just such a magnificent group of people that would come to Jerusalem. Here, here's something else I read. And I can't remember if I shared this on Friday or not. But said that this also would be true for Passover. But they said there were so many people would come. Because, you know, this is celebrating God's provisions. He saved, he saved the, the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery. And, of course, that's the Passover too. And so, and then after the Passover, you would sell the, the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles because of God's provisions. You would celebrate that. And they said that there were so many people would make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Temple Mount, and then on the Temple Mount, and the courts is where they would make the sacrifices, you know, the outer court, and go through the court of Gentiles and the court of women and then you get to the outer court and that's where they'd make the sacrifices there were so many sacrifices during that two things had to happen there was 8 days and every day people were bringing sacrifices every day blood sacrifices and there were so many sacrifices that in the Jews had orders of priests there were 24 orders of priests you, you don't really, but every order of priest had cuz they had to be sacrificing 24/7 to keep up with all the sacrifice and so every order of the priest would serve in the temple because there was so much going on. And down in the Kidron, the brook, the Kidron, the it's called the Kidron Valley, which you'll see it one day when we go in a couple of years. I'm thinking about us going in the fall of 2023. Okay, I'll tell you more about that, going to Jerusalem, but going to Israel. But but the Kidron Valley runs beside Israel, besides the temple, but the city of Jerusalem. And there's a little of. Uh, brook, a creek, we would call it a creek, and it turns red. It would turn the Mishnah, all these history books would say it would turn red during the feast of tap because of so much all running off the, the, the Temple Mount and the blood going, eventually making it to the brook. So so it's in the midst of this feast this so way. Everybody goes home, so now that 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 experience is over. So it says and so each went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. That's we would say that's across the street. It is a pretty good walk, though. It's half a mile, three-quarters of a mile. You come out. If you're walking from the Temple Mount to the Mount of Olives, it's probably a good half a mile. And you're going up in the Mount of Olives, okay? So um, so it's right there. This you know, where Jesus prayed, The you know. Uh, uh, so, they, so he went to Mount of Olives. Now, it doesn't say where he stayed, uh, but there's a good chance he could have gone to Bethany or he could have stayed in, in the mountain. I mean, it's a lot of trees. So it says, early in the morning, He came again to the temple. And all the people... Now, again, I want you to grasp the... You know, John puts this in here because this is the Word of God speaking and clarifying. This is Jesus clarifying about the truth. That's how I looked at it when I read it. I even thought about skipping it. And just go into eight twelve. I'm the light of the world. Profound thing. But Jesus, the Word, communicates with ignorance and lies to try to set set them right about the truth, because they're trying to catch him. You know, and I'll tell you what they're trying to do in a minute. But in some kind of, uh, they're trying to get him to deny the law or to violate Roman law, and 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 either one's going to be easy to do. So early in the morning, are you with me now? Okay, that's a long introduction, isn't it? Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. And all the people came to him. And he sat down and taught them. By John 8, you're you're, you're pretty well into him. And you're a year and a half, if not further along in in the ministry of Christ. You're probably getting closer to two years the scri- <clears throat> so the people sat down to be taught by Christ. That's how, did you, you think about, that's how the church began. Now not, when I mean really it really did begin with Christ. He said, I'll build my church. But when the church was born at Pentecost, right? Acts 2. It was born by preaching and teaching. You ever think about that? The existence of the church is here because Peter preached a sermon and God used that to birth the church. And then the church grew through preaching and teaching. It's just what you do. It's what the church does. So everything we do is for us to have the opportunity to teach and preach. Fellowship's important. You know, trips are important. I had a blast and went to Kentucky. I mean... Everything we do that's outside of Bible study and worship, it's important to the body. But this is where the church was born. It was born and it's built upon truth. And and so so Jesus sits down to teach, and the people come to hear him. And I always think about the psalm Be Still and Know. By the way that appears numerous times in the Psalms. Be still and know that I am God. Where he speaks. Are you listening to him? You think about that. So they came to him and he sat down and he and he taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees. Quickly the scribes obviously is is exactly what the word would mean. The scribes were, were they were pretty elite because scribes could read and write. It's obvious right? You couldn't be a scribe with them. And and I'm not saying there was tons of ignorance in the first century, but but there was probably. I would dare say, if, if what I read, you know, you're talking about 40 percent of the population could not read, okay? And so, being a scribe where you could read and write was was a big deal. And um, so, the scribes and the Pharisees, you know, the really people that wanted to make sure everybody lived the strictest part of the law, you know, and added to it. So you have these two groups of people that are working together, the scribes and the Pharisees. And there's a reason why the scribes are there because they're kind of experts in the written word, you know, because they copy it all the time. And the Pharisees are the ones that are trying to demand that everybody obey not only God's word, but things that are well beyond what's written in the Bible and things they make up. They don't obey it. You know, Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs because they're just a bunch of phonies. But they'll demand that you what? You obey it. But they're not living it. So you have the scribes and Pharisees. And look what happens. And y'all know this story. Then Now you're going to realize what, what, what this is about. They brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Now think about that encounter. We're adults because we sent the children across the way. Caught in adultery. That's done in private. 99.9% of the time, especially if it's, you know, wicked, adulterous acts, probably that's almost exclusively done in some kind of hidden. It's in a bedroom. It's, it's in a back room. It's away from the eyes. And, and so, so she was caught in adultery. What runs through your mind when you read that? Well, Because it is private. I mean, let's just—we've been adults now. Who was in the room where they're having sex? Right? It's a setup, right? Now I'm sure it happened. She was caught, right? And they—and it was—they, you know, they were going to get—and you had to have two witnesses that would say just about the same thing. And so, uh, by the way, when they bring all this up, there's no. If you go to John 18, you learn that they legally couldn't really... Ultimately, they legally couldn't do anything because they had to defer to Rome. You can read about that even when Jesus was being arrested and prosecuted. They confessed that to the Romans. They said, we have no authority to stone anybody or kill anybody. You do. Uh, John eighteen thirty one, I think. So, so they ultimately knew Rome was the ruling authority. So there's not a Roman official making these decisions. It's the scribes and Pharisees, and they're asking Jesus to condemn this woman as as the teacher. They call him teacher. They're kind to him. Sir, rabbi, they're wanting him to say stoner. So then they can run to Rome and say, hey, he's trying to have this. You see what they're trying to do? Or he says, no, let her go. And then they say you're violating the scriptures, right? Right? So, but would Jesus violate the Scriptures? No. They're, they're misapplying Scripture. Okay, and I'm going to show you that in just a second, but it's so interesting. So anyway, so, they, so they, the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. You can imagine. Now, we know in the chapter before, in 6 and 7, the crowd was mentioned seven times. It's not mentioned in eight, nine, or ten. So, so the massive crowd of the feast, that crowd's gone. Okay, the Feast of Tabernacles. But there's still a lot of people and she's in the midst. She's been caught in adultery. And you can imagine this. So what's the other thing that's missing? If she's been caught, guess who else should be there? Okay. And again, then you have to think. The person that the male part of this was not involved in the prosecution. And so scholars talk about this. Christ knows who He is. He knows who He is. Some scholars debate that it probably was a scribe or a Pharisee that was involved in it, but he wanted to get rid of his wife. Not that he was committed, but he knew his wife. So there's all these things that could be involved. That's the the heart of... Listen, man is depraved. You don't think somebody would set somebody up so they'd be killed? So they Wonder if the lady had an inheritance... If you get it if she if he writes a written divorce, he can divorce her for adultery, right? That's what the Bible says. And Moses gave them the privilege of doing that, right? For adultery. That's what it says. But if she has assets, she would take her assets with her, right? So maybe he wants her dead, he don't want to divorce her. Does that sound familiar in our world today? You ever watch these shows on TV and they'll you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Listen I don't have anything. she can die and kill me if she wants to, but she ain't getting nothing. So, so you know what I mean? I'm not being silly, but... Just, so you know, this is, rea- this is the sin of... this Is, the, is Christ not the truth? Well, He's going to expose this. He has to. Could Christ remain silent? When they approached Him with this, He could not remain silent because He's the truth. He knows them. He knows the Scriptures. Okay? So, um... Uh, And and it's hard to prove, but it's not hard to prove for Christ. And he's going to prove that in just a second. Here's here's our problem. It says, says, uh, the woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act. And of course, they're talking about adultery, right? Now, let's set adultery aside. Every one of us in here has been caught in the act of sin. Sometimes we've been caught by our spouses, by our friends, our neighbors, our pastors, etc., etc. But we're always caught by who? Christ. When we sin, we're, as a believer, you know, Now, again, it doesn't send us to hell, all these tr- But we're caught every moment of every day. I have the potential every moment of being caught in the act of sin. Right? Don't you? And and this is true for me and you because we're dealing with Christ as the truth. And we're responsible for it because He's told us how we're supposed to live. We have a responsibility to obey God's holy word. Well, let, let me finish and then I'll come back and give you something. I know I'm going to run out of time. Somebody give me the time. 11.32? Okay, I want to be fair to the nursery workers. Somebody take them some pizza and we'll... (laughs) All right, let's finish this. Let me just finish the passage. Uh, But you understand why Christ couldn't be silent? So, let let me... I tell you what, let's do this. Let's go ahead and not say get this out of the way. Take your Bibles and go to Deuteronomy Twenty-two and uh, oh man, I hope I did this right. Yeah, go to Deuteronomy twenty-two. Yeah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy twenty-two. And and these are the verses that deal with some of the verses that deal with uh, uh, adultery. Look at look at. I'm going to pick up at verse. Uh, 22, uh, I think. Brought so much up here. Man, I have got to do. Am I right? Okay. It says, uh, well, it says, but if, look at verse, uh, well, let's just pick up at verse 22. It says, uh, if a man is found lying with the wife of another man, Both of them shall die. Okay. Now it doesn't say be stoned. You see that? Okay. The man who lay with the woman and the woman. So you shall purge the evil from Israel. Now remember, this is a theocracy. God is laying down the rule of His kingdom. His God rules. It's a theocracy. He's in control. And this is how his law is. If there is a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and lies with her. Now again, this is interesting. I won't get into all that. But it's in the city. It's not in the backwoods. It's in the city. Okay? Then you shall bring them both out to the gate of the city. And you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry for help, uh, though she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife. By the way, they're they're not married; they're betrothed, but yet they are married legally because he called. Now, the betrothed engaged, but then it calls them his wife because. Legally, they're bound as husband and wife in order to separate, they have to be divorced. Uh, and he shall purge the evil from... uh let me read one more. It says, But if in the open country a man meets a young woman who is betrothed and the man seizes her and lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. Uh, but you shall do nothing to the young woman... Uh, she has committed no offense, punishable by death. And, and you can. this is just a great passage. By the way, you can go back to John seven and we'll fin- I mean John seven and eight, but we'll finish, but you can read Leviticus 20. Um, and and let's, let's read it, and I'm going to give you one, one or two points, and we'll finish. Um, says, um, "Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery." Now in the law, now they're telling Jesus about the law. <laughs> Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Uh, so what do you say? And, and here it is. This they said to test him. Now folks, my point is, this, may not, this situation obviously won't arise in your encounters with people. People are going to ask you, what do you say? And you need to be able to answer what the Bible says. You need to be able to say what Christ said or the apostles. You need to be able to say what the Bible says. Okay, Not I think or in my opinion. If you're dealing with truth, you need to know the truth. Well, obviously Christ knows it. He knows them and he knows the truth. This they said to test him, that they might have some things to bring against him. So of course this is the part that we all remember. Jesus bent down and he wrote with his finger on the ground. Now we know there's scribes and we know there's Pharisees. And you know, probably two or three dozen of those have, you know, getting around her and have been part of this. This, political, this, uh, this court scene, and there's probably you know, dozens of other people watching. So Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. I mean, what's interesting is, you know the word you don't think about this, and I know Christ knows this because he made man, but dirt, the ground, is the word "Adam. Adam Ma." Right? So God made man, God made Adam from the Adamah, if you're reading Hebrew. So you've got to think there's the last Adam who is Jesus sticks his finger in the very dirt that he made the first man from. And just an interesting scene, right? Because it says, and God said, let God, Jesus was the acting part of creation. He's Him and the Father and the Spirit created Adam. So here you have God in human form sticking his finger in the very kind of dirt that he took to form Adam, when he, and then he breathed life into him. But he's the truth. That's the same Jesus we follow today. And we better know what he says. We better know what he says. See how important this is. So, uh, so then he stands, and says, and so they continued to ask him. He stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Now there's a chance he wrote Exodus twenty three one, where it says, Do not be a part of being a false witness or or join in with false witnesses. That's Exodus twenty-three one. He may have he may have written that. He may have written that, you know, that he that man was made from the dust of the ground and God breathed light. I don't know what he wrote. Um, and once more, now here, here, see, I'll finish. But the, and once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground. This, then the second time he bends down. Now again, he could have been listing their sins. I mean, there's a, because the Hebrews, the, you know, Hebrew is backwards, number one. Uh, and it's consonants, no vowels. The vowels are added by the reader. So it's a very short, you can write a lot in a little, in little you don't have to be many letters for it to say a lot. That's my whole point. So if he's writing in Hebrew, he may have been writing in Aramaic. I don't know. So, so without, be the first to cast a stone. And once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground. You're looking at your Bibles. Now what is that next? This is profound to me. And when they what? heard it, now where is it hitting home? They heard it. He wrote it, but they heard it. That's awesome. That's me. That's you. He. It's written. It's written. The Word wrote the Word. But well, we hear it. Isn't it awesome? I love that. Well, let's finish the little story. It says, uh, they went away one by one. And look what it said. But with the older elders beginning with the elders, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before Him. So it's just Him and her. Might have been some other people hanging out, but none of His accusers. Jesus stood up and He said to the woman, Where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And what is missing here is she doesn't repent. The word forgiveness is not mentioned. Jesus doesn't mention she's repented, has a new life, whatever. But He saves her from physical death because of His common grace. Do you know what keeps God from wiping the face the earth clean of wicked people today? It's just grace. Grace. You can wipe it out, but He doesn't. Neither do I condemn you. Go From now on, in sin, no more. And then right after that is when he says, I'm the light of the world. Those candelabras, for those eight days, eight nights, seven nights, would light the whole city of Jerusalem, 75 feet tall. They had to have ladders propped up against them so they keep pouring oil in them. It lit Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles to remind people that God provided the you know the pillar by day you know the cloud by day, pillar by night. But Jesus says He's not the light of Jerusalem. He's the light of the world. And you may tell you what makes that light illumine. It's it's His word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my right. You want, to sh- you want Christ to shine in you. You have to know His Word. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank You for worship. Thank You for study. Thank You for Jesus. Oh, God, this is why we love Your Word. God, help us to be doers and not hearers. Help us to study to show ourselves approved, a workman that needs not be ashamed who rightly divides the word of truth. Thank you for God's word. Thank you for the privilege to serve you in this world. Bless us now as we leave as the light of this world. In Jesus' name, amen.